Well, good morning, everybody. It is so wonderful to see you here this morning. My name is Tim Park. I serve as our lead pastor. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome to E-Free Church. And our hope is that you will experience the warmth of Jesus in this place. And I trust you will. Later this afternoon, our junior high students are going to make their way up to Forest Home Christian Camp for an enriching week. And uh, next Sunday, our high school students are going to make their way up to Hume Lake Christian Camp. Each summer, we have the opportunity for our, children, our, our students to experience God in a very uh, powerful way at summer camp. And each year, what we want to do is we set the camp fee as low as we can to make it possible for our students to attend. And we're able to set the camp fee as low as possible on our end because of your generosity as you give to allow these students to go up. And what that means is that as we set the camp fee each year, we trust that God's going to provide. And again, year after year, he provides through our annual youth camp offering. And today we've designated to be the youth offering day, their youth camp offering. And so at any point today, uh, if you have prepared your offering, uh, you can place that in the offering box. If you are writing a check, you can write youth camp in the memo section. Another convenient way to give is to go online anytime between now and actually until Tuesday evening, 11.59 p.m. Uh, you can give online and uh, help support our youth students. And so we're so thankful that as a church, we're able to participate together in youth camp. Well, this morning, we bring our 10-week series to a close. This series that we've called The Church, Nature, Purpose, Function. And for our final message, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And I've titled my message, Living with the end in mind. Living with the end in mind. And throughout this series, we've looked at many different aspects of the church. We've talked about spiritual gifts. We've talked about vital components of a healthy church. We've talked about leadership, discipleship, and much, much more. And today, we're bringing all that together and wrapping it up in this passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 4. And I'm going to read our passage in its entirety. And what you'll discover is that Peter is writing to Christians in churches in the first century. And this is his exhortation to them. And this is God's exhortation to us in the 21st century. Chapter 4, starting in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. 
If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, Peter begins this section with the words, the end of all things is near. It's a bold statement. The end of all things is near. And it's important for you, for me to understand what Peter is and is not saying when he says the end of all things is near. So what is Peter not saying? Peter is not saying the sky is falling. The sky is falling. So don't believe Chicken Little. You know that bedtime story? Chicken Little, otherwise known as Henny Penny. Henny Penny is out in the yard pecking corn, and out of nowhere, an acorn falls on her head. And so she runs around and says to the king, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. When Peter wrote this letter to the Christians in the first century, he was not saying to them, you only have 24 hours to live. Now, it's tempting for many Christians to read this passage and think, wow, the world is coming to an end. And of course, there have been many failed predictions along the way. Now, the fact of the matter is, the world as we know it will one day cease to exist. But only God knows when that will be. You and I, we don't know when that will be. When Peter says that the end of all things is near, what he was telling the Christians in the first century and what God's word is telling us today is this. All the major events of God's redemptive plan leading to Christ's return have occurred. That includes Christ's death. It includes his resurrection. It includes the Holy Spirit given at Pentecost. Now, all that's left is for Christ to return. And in light of that fact, in light of that very fact, Peter exhorts the Christians to be sober-minded, to be self-controlled. He doesn't instruct them to sell all their possessions, quit their jobs, go up to the mountaintop, and just wait. He says, no, no, no. In light of Christ's coming, be sober-minded, be self-controlled, and pray. And when he's saying pray, what he means is pray effectively. And the way that you and I pray effectively is by being in God's word. See, because God's word instructs us how to live so that we can pray according to God's word. And when we pray, what happens is our will aligns with God's will. That's what effective prayer does. And so what follows in the remaining verses here in this passage is God's practical plan for his church. And we'll discover throughout this passage that the centerpiece for God's plan for his church is characterized by one word, and it's the Greek word agape. Agape 
means unconditional love. It is an unmerited love. It is an undeserving love. And it is enduring love. Agape is an enduring love. You might say that agape is the opposite of fickleness. Do you know what it means to be fickle? You know when someone says, you're so fickle, what does that mean? Well, fickleness is ever-changing loyalties, ever-changing interests, ever-changing affections. So to be fickle is to bounce around from one thing to another, one interest to another, one affection to another. Now, let's face it. We as human beings, we can be fickle, right? We love our things until the next new thing comes along. We love our experiences until those experiences start to get boring and we want new experiences. And so human beings, we naturally tend to be fickle. Here's the thing. Oftentimes, fickleness can make its way into the church. And that's what we want to guard against. And so today's passage exhorts us to be the opposite of fickle. So as we wrap up our series, we're going to bring it all together in this one message, through this one passage. And I'm going to draw out three exhortations, three exhortations from this passage that will help us to stay on track as we live with the end in mind. Now, what we're going to share this morning, it can apply to many areas of our lives. But we want to be reminded that Peter is addressing Christians within local churches. So the immediate context is how do we relate to one another in the church? So three exhortations. I begin with number one, love one another fervently. God calls us to love one another fervently. Now, based on the translation you're using, Peter says, above all else, love one another deeply. Love one another earnestly. Love one another fervently. I love all three descriptions, deeply, earnestly, fervently. Keep in mind, agape is the opposite of fickleness. Agape endures. It is long-lasting. You see, in the Christian life, sometimes it can be easy to start off strong. And this often happens with new believers. They receive Jesus into their life. It's exciting. Going to church can be invigorating. They're learning new things, meeting new people. They're hungry, and rightfully so. It's an exciting time. But sometimes what happens is the newness can wear off. Someone might even be baptized and be on fire for the Lord, but eventually it becomes harder to maintain a consistent quiet time. It becomes harder to wake up on Sunday morning to go to church. And when the newness wears off, Sometimes what happens is people might find that they look for something else, another experience. 
Some perhaps find themselves bouncing around from one fellowship to another, one church to another every couple of years. Now, it can be exciting to find a new church home, to meet new people, to get involved in new ministries. For some, perhaps, in that excitement, what they experience is a comparison. Maybe they left a former church under bad situations. Maybe they had a conflict. Maybe they had a falling out with someone. Maybe they were disappointed in one way or another, and so they find themselves somewhere else. And it's exciting. It's new. But eventually, maybe, what if that wears out? You know, one of the joys that I have every Sunday morning is meeting first-time guests. I love meeting first-time guests. Do you know what I also love? I love seeing them the next Sunday and the next Sunday and a year from now and two years from now and five years from now. The initial stages of anything can be exciting. We talked about the honeymoon stage a few weeks ago. Every couple who goes on a honeymoon enjoys the honeymoon, but is faced with the reality that the honeymoon cannot last forever. You cannot keep going to one luau after another. You have to eventually go home. You can't just sit and watch sunset after sunset. You have to go home, and that's when the real work begins. It's exciting meeting new people, getting plugged into a new ministry, experiencing the love of a new church. But when the newness wears off, and when the luster begins to dull, and when you start to notice the imperfections of a church and its people, and you will, that's when the real work begins. Agape endures. Agape is not fickle. Agape is not dictated by how we feel. Think about this. If our lives were dictated by how we felt, we'd be a mess. I don't feel like brushing my teeth today. You succumb to that feeling enough, and you won't have any more teeth to brush. I don't feel like taking a shower today. You succumb to that feeling enough days in a row, and don't be surprised if nobody wants to sit next to you on Sunday mornings. I don't feel like going to church today. I think I'll sleep in today. You succumb to that feeling long enough, and that will become the norm. I don't feel like loving others today. It's too hard to get motivated to reach out to others. I just don't have the energy. I get it. We've all been there. That's why fervent love is a difficult love. In fact, that Greek word for fervent, to love fervently, the picture is this. The picture is of someone 
on a torture rack being stretched. That's the idea of a fervent love. It can be difficult and it can be painful at times. If you've found it difficult to love certain people throughout the course of your Christian walk, you are not alone. Don't you wish everyone was as normal as you are? Don't you wish everyone was as likable as you are? I do. But because not everyone is as likable as I am, because not everyone is as normal as you are, fervent love is necessary. And one of the tangible ways that Peter gives to demonstrate this fervent love is through hospitality. He exhorts us to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. You know, during the first century, it was common for evangelists and preachers to travel from city to city proclaiming the gospel. But the reality was they needed a place to stay. They needed food. And Peter called upon the members of the church to open their doors with hospitality. I'm thankful that God has blessed our church with people who have the gift of hospitality. That is not an easy gift. And for those of you who have that gift, please know that God has blessed you with that gift. And here's the thing about hospitality. Hospitality is rarely ever convenient, right? You have to go out of your way to make others feel welcome, to invite them in, to feed them. It's not convenient. It requires us to work. In fact, if love was convenient, it really wouldn't be love at all, would it? So fervent love stretches us. That's the first exhortation in this passage. Number two, love one another forgivingly. Love one another forgivingly. Peter says that love covers a multitude of sins. Not every love can cover sin. Only agape can. In the first century, the Greeks, they had four words for what we call love. We've already looked at one of them, agape. But they had four words. And here are the four words for what we call love in the Greek culture. Two of these words we see in the New Testament. The other two are not found in the Bible. But the Greeks use these other two in their culture. So agape is unconditional love. We see that throughout the New Testament. Phileo is another kind of love that we see in the Bible. This is a friendship love, a brotherly, sisterly love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Now, the Greeks also had two other words for what we call love. Storge is a familial love, like a parent to a child. And then eros is a sensual love. You know, at times in the New Testament, the Bible speaks of a phileo love, a brotherly love. In Romans 12, in verse 10, the Apostle Paul says this, be devoted to one another in love. That's phileo love. 
Honor one another above yourselves. Friendship love is a wonderful kind of love. But did you know that it is still a conditional love? Friendship love, as good as it is, it is still a conditional love. Not everyone can be your best friend, right? Some friends are much closer than others. You know, we have a closer bond with our closest of friends. A much closer bond than, let's say, our wider circle of friends. And hopefully, a much closer bond than, let's say, our social media friends. Because if you have hundreds and thousands of social media friends, they can't all be your best friend. And so it's only natural for us to have our closest of friends. In the church, you're going to be closer with some than you will be with others. That's only natural. And with your closer friends here at church, you'll go out to eat with them. You'll hang out with them. Go watch a movie together. Your kids will have a play date. And sometimes you might even go on trips with your friends here at church. I love it when I see people here at church going on trips with other people at church. And you know what I love even more? I love it when people, they, they let me know ahead of time, oh, Tim, uh, I'm going to be on a trip for the next two Sundays, so you won't see me. But they, they, they let me know so that I don't worry about them. I love it. So they let me know, oh, we're going to go on a trip with uh, this family and that family. So we won't be here for the next two weeks, so don't think anything's wrong. So we'll be back. And so I, I love that. I love when people check in. But I love seeing photos of families going on trips with other families, individuals here at church going on trips with other friends here at church. It's wonderful. It's necessary. Phileo love is part of life. But it is still a conditional love. So you might say that phileo love is an if kind of love. If we have the same interests, if we have the same hobbies, if we're in the same stage in life, if our kids like to hang out, you can be my friend. It's an if kind of love. Now, hopefully, no one's forcing you to be their friend. That would be miserable, all right? The reality is this. Friendships happen naturally and organically. And as wonderful as friendship love is and is necessary, agape is different. In 1 Peter 4, we are called to love one another with an agape love. Why? Because not even a friendship love can cover a multitude of sins. Not even a storge love, familial love, can cover a multitude of sins. Only agape can do such a thing. Phileo is an if kind of love. Agape is an in spite of kind of love. In spite of your shortcomings and failures, in, in spite of the fact that you have hurt me and wronged me, I choose to love you. Agape is necessary in the church because agape empowers us to forgive one another.
It's really an unnatural love, if you think about it. Agape is unnatural. It's actually supernatural. It, requ it requires something beyond ourselves. If you stay at a church long enough, no matter how good the church is, you'll find that you'll get along with certain people better than others. And you'll find that certain people will just rub you the wrong way. You stay long enough at any given church, as good as that church is, you will get along with some and not with others. Sometimes conflicts will arise, little conflicts, big conflicts. And what happens is, every so often, people think this. Maybe a change in scenery will change things. So they might make their way to another church, only to discover, wow, it's the same conflicts. It's the exact same conflicts. You know, from time to time, people move from one church to another for justifiable and biblical reasons. And if that decision is made prayerfully, if that's made with godly counsel, and if it's made for biblical reasons, then God honors those decisions. But sometimes, here's what happens. People move from church to church for emotional reasons. They were hurt. They were betrayed. They were let down, disappointed. Agape stands in contrast to every other kind of love because it is not an emotional response. Agape involves the will. It is a purposeful love. It is a commitment to act for the highest good of the other person, regardless of whether that person deserves it or not. It's the only way that we can forgive one another. It's through agape. So love one another forgivingly. That's what Peter says here. Thirdly, love one another faithfully. Love one another faithfully. To be faithful is to be loyal. It's to be steadfast in carrying out God's will for us, the church. And to that end, guess what? Every single one of us plays a role. Look again at verses 10 and 11. Peter says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ to him. Be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Earlier in our series, we talked about the office of elder and the office of deacon and deaconess. These are just two of the many ways that church members fill their role in carrying out God's plan for the church. 
There are many other ways that people here at church serve. Many of you serve in one or more of our care groups. Many of you serve in our men's and women's ministries. Many of you serve in our worship arts ministry, in our children's ministry, in our youth ministry, as greeters, as teachers. The list goes on and on and on. The bottom line is this. Every part of the body is important. And that is why God has given us a diversity of gifts. You know, earlier we talked about the gift of hospitality. Some are just gifted. Some are just hospitable. Not everyone is. But then others are gifted in teaching. Not everyone is. Others are gifted in administration. And the list goes on and on and on. Here at our church, God has appointed people to fill certain roles. And the key is this. And one author wrote this. And I love what this author wrote. Diversity leads to disunity when the members compete with one another. But diversity leads to unity when the members care for one another. I'll say that again. Diversity leads to disunity when the members compete with one another. But diversity leads to unity when the members care for one another. We shouldn't feel guilty or jealous if we are not gifted the way someone else is. And it's easy. It's tempting. We look at someone else, and we look at that person's gifting, and we think, oh, I wish I had that. It'll do us no good to compare. We'll either feel guilty or jealous. Diversity leads to unity when the members care for one another, when the members root for one another, cheer one another on. Because we're in this together. So at our church, God has appointed some to preach. Here at our church, when members of our pastoral staff come here and they preach God's word in a corporate worship setting, God uses these men to fulfill his purpose in his church. Outside of our corporate worship settings, we have many other teaching opportunities throughout the course of the week in our adult Bible fellowships, life groups, children's ministry, youth ministry, and God uses gifted men and women to teach in these gatherings. Others have been gifted to serve behind the scenes. So they love setting up and they love cleaning up. God has just gifted some with that special gift. They don't want to be up in front. They'd rather just come early, set up, and then show up and then clean up. And that's their gift. Others, God has gifted with administration. Those are the ones who love to make charts. And they love to look at calendars. And they love to plan events down to the second God bless you. And God's gifted some of you to be administrators. The list goes on and on and on. God has gifted some of you with the gift of mercy. And when you hear of something, something tragic, anything, you just automatically start to tear up because God has given you that gift of mercy. If we have a biblical understanding of spiritual gifts, which verse 10 says is to serve others, 
then here's what happens. All the gifts will be accounted for. And we will lack for no gift in the church. We are all members of one body. Diversity leads to unity when the members care for one another. Let's consider that word member for the next few minutes. I'm a proud member of Costco. I've bought countless items over the years at Costco. I've waited in countless gas lines at Costco over the years. I appreciate Costco. Now, I get it. They are a business, and they're out to make money. But I really believe that Costco cares for its members, and they want the best for their members. Now, as good as Costco is, and as good as a Costco membership is, being part of a church is so much more enriching. You see, church membership, it goes much deeper than joining a gym or joining a local association. Now, of course, you don't have to be an official member of E-Free Church to be part of the body here. But if you call E-Free Church your home, and if you've not yet become a member, I encourage you to give it prayerful thought and consideration. Now, I say prayerful thought because membership is not to be taken lightly. In fact, it is a serious matter. Becoming a member of a local body is a serious matter. When we make a commitment to the life of a church by becoming a member, something happens. In fact, I'm going to share with you three things that happen when we consider our part in the body of Christ in the local church. Number one, we identify with Christ through the local church. Did you know that? We identify with Christ through the local church. Christ is the head of the church. We are his body, and we identify with the head in relation to the other members of the body. When we go to a sporting event, and when we wear our favorite team jersey or hat, we automatically bond with those who wear the same colors. We start high-fiving total strangers after a home run. I mean, I still remember when I went to an Angels World Series game way back in 2002, and the Angels were playing the Giants, and Tim Salmon hit a home run. In fact, he hit two home runs, and each home run, I'm just chest-bumping perfect strangers. <laughs> Why? Because we share something in common. we got the same jersey on. And we have the same team in common. And we walk out of the stadium, down the long corridors, walking next to, uh, side by side with perfect strangers, all the while thinking, this is my buddy. As if we've been friends for years and years. Why? Because we identify with Christ through the local body. 
Christ is manifested in the local church. In other words, Christ is made known through the local church. And so a special thing that happens when we consider our part as members of the local church is that we identify in a deeper sense with Jesus Christ through his church. Here's the second thing that happens. We encourage and serve one another in the local church. We encourage and serve one another in the local church. In the New Testament, there are 58 occurrences of the phrase one another. 58 times we are called to love one another, forgive one another, serve one another, exhort one another. And here's the thing that we need to know about those one another's. The vast majority of those 58 times, the one another's is given in the context of the local church. In the context of a local church. The local church is about belonging. Not, it's not enough only to belong to the universal church. The moment you gave your life to Christ, you became a member of the universal church, the invisible church. But that is not God's full plan for you, you and for me. He wants us to be part of the local church because that is where we can encourage and serve one another. And finally, here's the third thing that we see happen. We provide accountability for one another within the local church. We provide accountability for one another in and within the local church. Church, we need one another in the daily fight against sin. We need one another in that daily fight. Because the Christian life is not easy. And sometimes it can just be a downright struggle. We need one another in the daily fight against sin. And the church provides that accountability. The church provides spiritual leaders who can come alongside us to help keep us on track. Remember, godly leaders, they lead and feed. They watch and warn. They tend and mend. The New Testament presents the local church as an organized body of believers with recognized membership and leadership. So I encourage you, if you call E-Free Church your home, and you've not yet taken that next step and to publicly proclaim in front of your church family that I commit as a member to this church, I encourage you, visit our website and you will see everything you need to know to get started on that process. On our website under next steps, you can scroll down in the drop down menu and you'll see the word membership and that'll get you started. 
in that process. We need one another here at church. And with that, we bring our series to a close. I look forward to seeing you next Sunday because next Sunday we start a brand new series called Philippians, Living as Gospel Citizens. We're going to go through the book of Philippians in its entirety over several weeks, and we'll see what it means to live as gospel citizens. I look forward to seeing you next Sunday. If you're visiting for the first time, I hope to see you next Sunday and the Sunday after that, but I'd love to see you and meet you out on the patio. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and thank you for your church. Thank you for our church. Thank you for calling us here to be part of this local body. We're so encouraged by what you're doing here in Diamond Bar, what you've been doing for the last 56 years through your church. And I pray that as you've given us stewardship in this season of life, that we would be faithful stewards, that we would continue to know Jesus in a deeper way, and to make him known in a wider way. Thank you, God, for this series. Thank you for what you'll do in the next series. Thank you for who you are. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.